Our passage today is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Next week we'll depart from Ephesians for some Christmas passages. But today, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Church, is there a a more clear passage in the Bible on how to get saved? Is there a, a stronger passage in the Bible on salvation? Is there a more emphatic passage in all the Bible on how to get saved? I don't believe so. In this one short three-verse passage, there are no less than eight emphases that salvation is God's work for us and not our work for God. Can we just count them? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. If Don't create ourselves. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Eight emphatic statements in that little passage that salvation is God's work for us. How emphatic is that? Why would God be so emphatic if it would not be for the fact that we humans are so slow to understand grace and the free gift of God? Why would God emphasize it so much apart from the fact that the human mindset to work and earn things that we picked up as a little toddler and all through school and all through sports and other things that's so extensive in the human heart. Why would it be so emphatic if it was not for the great satanic lie that you get to heaven by your religion and your good works? But over and over in the Bible, nowhere more clearly than here, we see it is, in fact, the gift of God, the gift of God's grace. If I was an active parent, I talked about this sort of thing last week, but if I was an active parent, I would make sure that before my kids left home, they would understand Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 and have it down pat and maybe even have it memorized. But they would understand that the theme of the Bible is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. The first phrase has three of the great salvation words in the Bible. Grace saved faith. You could summarize those verses by saying eight and nine. Saved by grace. Verse 10, you're saved for works. Or eight and nine, you're not saved by works. Ten, you're saved for works. Or best of all, I think. Eight and nine, how we are saved. Grace. Verse 10, why we are saved. Works. God saves us as a gift of his grace for the purpose of us living a life of good works and obedience to him. If I was given one verse or one passage about how to get saved, this is probably the passage I'd turn to. For by grace, if anybody ever asks you, well, how do I become a Christian? It's a no-brainer. Turn them to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're going to unpack this 
pregnant passage of ten phrases and just sort of move through them. The first one, for by grace. Now that exact words, for by grace you have been saved, was found in verse 4 up ahead and it's repeated exactly in verse 8. So twice, for by grace you have been saved. What is grace? It is God's free gift. It is undeserved. It is unmerited. It is something you cannot pay back. It is God's love and mercy to sinners. Last week, I think it was, I mentioned that mercy really has in view God's love to the helpless and the needy, and grace has in view God's love to the guilty. And so the grace of God, God's free gift. We got some folks from Holland right down here on the second row, and uh, when I was a young man and I was running a lot, uh, one of my favorite places to go was Holland. Made several trips there and developed a good relationship with a young couple there, Hank and Irene Hugenkamp. And they had just the best place to run ever. And after spending uh, some trips with him, at the end of one of those trips, he gave me an incredible gift. Knowing that I was a theology student at the time and knowing that I was a lover of books, he goes and brings this leather-bound book that had been in his family for generations. It was an old Latin commentary of a book of the Bible, and it was huge, and it was old, and it was leather-bound, and he was just saying, I want you to have this. And it was an incredible act of friendship. Now, he did not give that to me because I had worked hard staying at his house, you know, cleaning up all the rooms. I didn't earn it. And how inappropriate it would have been for him to give that, give that to me and me pull out my wallet and try to pay him for it. When you are given a gift, there's only one response that's appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. And God has given us an incredible, incredible gift. Life and forgiveness in his son. And the only appropriate response is thank you. Thank you. You know, grace is free, and free is hard for us to choke down. It just seems like nothing's free. And in fact, you could say that grace is free to us, but it's not free to God. It costs him the blood of his son. In fact, some use the acronym of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is God's mercy and grace to us. One of the surprising definitions that I heard recently uh, is grace is just God at work. It's God working. And if God is working for our salvation, what are we doing working? We don't need to work for our salvation. We work because God has already saved us. I love the way John Ortberg emphasizes Paul in grace. In one of his books when he says, Grace is how Paul started all of his letters, and he would end with the same word, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace is his invocation. Grace is his benediction. Grace is everything in between. Grace is what knocked Paul to the ground on the road to Damascus. Grace is what brought him to, knee, to his knees over sin. And grace is what took his sin away. Grace was the light that blinded him. And grace was the power that took the scales from his eyes. It is not a surprise to me that perhaps the greatest character in all the Bible was the flawed David who understood the grace of God. And that the greatest character in the New Testament outside Christ himself 
was the flawed Paul who understood the grace of God. I hope that you do not think that you are so good that you don't need the grace of God just as much as murderers like Paul and David. I hope that for the rest of your life, you will be a lover of grace like Paul and David, a champion of grace. Just you cannot get over the grace of God. It's all of grace because, church, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the New Testament. This is the message of the Bible, the grace of God to sinners like us. All right, that was a little bit longer on that first one. For by grace you have been saved. We saw that last week in verse 4. You have been saved, perfect tense, which means completed action, continuing results. It's a done deal. You don't earn it. It's already done. You have been saved. What is salvation? It's not just forgiveness of sin, but all that God does for us in Christ. He delivers us, as we saw in verses 1 through 3, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from wrath to forgiveness. He gives us new life in Christ, eternal life. Salvation covers all that God does in rescuing us. So it's forgiveness, but so much more. For by grace you have been saved. Now, thirdly, through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, that's a little bit pedantic. You could also say that we're saved by faith, but it just started to be proper. Let's look at it this way. We're saved by the grace of God. Through faith is the way we receive it. Think of it this way. You're in the desert, and you are... Uh, so thirsty, and you come across an oasis out there, and you've been a day or two without water, and, and there's a well there, and so you lower that bucket into that well and raise it up, and you just gulp that water down, don't you? Now, what saves you from your thirst, the bucket or the water? The water does. The bucket was just how you received the water. And it's like that with grace and faith. What saves you? It is the grace of God. How do you receive that grace? By trusting Christ, by faith in Christ. It is just how you receive it. Faith is not doing something, it's receiving something. It's just how you receive it. It's the straw through which you get the water that satisfies your thirst. From time to time, I'll, I'll give you a little more, more background about the original language here, and this one is significant. The word faith is the Greek word pistis. It occurs all through the New Testament in noun or verb forms, pistis or pistuo, and it's translated by either believe, faith, or trust. But if you see any of those words, noun or verb, almost certainly it is referring to pistis or pistuo. Now, Faith, believe, trust, they're all the same thing, but by far, in my judgment, by far the best English translation is the word trust because the word believe at times is just used for intellectual assent, intellectual knowledge. And the word faith sort of implies that's something that goes on in your head, but the word trust takes you out of your head to the object of the trust, it involves not just your head, but your heart. So the English word trust is the, the, the best summary. It's, it's a humble trust in Jesus. In fact, I define faith this way. Faith is humble trust in God. 
Faith means we trust Jesus to save us. We transfer our trust from ourself, that is to be good enough to earn salvation. We transfer our trust from self to Jesus. Faith is not doing something. Faith is receiving something. It's receiving God's gift of life. So grace is God's initiative. Faith is our response to it. It's the open hand of a beggar receiving a gift. Our faith is like the open hand of a beggar receiving God's gift of grace. All righty. Notice that it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not faith plus works, not faith plus baptism, not faith plus commitment, not faith plus confession, not faith plus anything, but by faith, by trusting a Savior. All right. Okay, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Now that ought to be clear to us already, but God has got to overcome the human pride and the works mentality. So, so he repeats the, the point. And this is not your own doing. Well, what is he referring to by the this? Does that refer to the faith, the last word, or to the saved, or to the grace, or to the whole phrase? Well, we know grammatically, just lining it up with the Greek, that it's not any one of those, but it's all three of those together. So the whole thing is, is not your doing. It's not the grace, not the saved, not the faith. It's all not your doing. It is the gift of God. As it is said, religion is spelled D-O, what you do. The grace, the gospel is spelled D-O-N-E, what God has done for you. All righty. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now that has already been clear with the word grace because grace is gift. But to emphasize it again, it is, this is, slow humans the gift of God. And all you do is receive it and say thank you. Okay, still more emphasis. The next phrase, not a result of works. He just said it's not your doing. But again, not a result of works. What is this great symbol down through the centuries of the Christian faith? Is it a, a, a set of justice scales do you see a lot of those hanging on people's necks? You don't. It's not the good deeds outweighing the bad deeds. What is the great symbol of our faith? It is the cross where Jesus won our salvation. He paid for our, our sins. It's the great symbol of our faith. I can remember as a young man reading this long-time story about the restoration of the Sistine Chapel. Sistine Chapel painted by Michelangelo in the 1500s. It was restored in uh, the 1990s. I probably took 10 or 15 years, you know, after 450 years. And they're talking about the drama of it and the effect of it. It's, it's this chapel uh, about the size of this room, maybe a little smaller, in the Vatican. And every square inch of it is a Michelangelo painting. The ceiling, the walls, the whole thing. And it's just this incredible work of art. The piece of the art that is on the screen is just one wall. The front wall, which is called the Last Judgment. And it is a powerful scene. In fact, one early pope saw it, saw it and sank to his knees and said, Lord, do not hold my sins against me at the judgment. And it's a powerful scene. 
Now this Time Magazine article reading about the restoration of it had this extremely sad line in it. And this is what it was. Michelangelo uh, died at age 89, 23 years after finishing this painting, the Sistine Chapel, that he had spent years and years and years on. And one of the last things he said was this, I regret that I have not done enough for the salvation of my soul. And to me that is unutterably sad that Michelangelo, who was this incredible sculptor and painter of biblical things, who labored, you know, year after year on the last judgment and the, the creation and all the stories of the Bible, but he did not understand the message of the Bible was the grace of God. Michelangelo, this brilliant painter and sculptor, did not understand the message of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is not by your works that you get into heaven. And that is, to me, unutterably sad. And it is also unutterably sad that there are Michelangelo's living all around us who are hoping to do enough for the salvation of our souls. There are billions of Michelangelo's all around us. Friends, you and I know the grace of God. We understand that the biblical message emphatically is grace, grace, grace. And the people around us that we work with, that we live with, that we work out with, they need to know it is the gift of God. It is the grace of God. Every other religion is earning it. I would say 80% of people in Christian churches around the world, they're trying to earn it. But it is the grace of God. And you are an ambassador of that message. It's not as a result of works. Then one more phrase before we go on to, to the next verse. So that no one may boast. How could you boast? Because God does it all. All. He, uh, you just believe and he gave you the faith to believe. He does it all. And so no one may boast. I think that's one of the reasons why people hate this, the free grace of God and afraid of it because it does nothing for human pride. You know, in the Reformation, which went on in the 1500s, the same time Michelangelo was painting, and there were three great rallying cries in the Reformation. And just over and over, they, this is the Bible. And those three rallying cries were sola fide, sola gratia, and sola deo gloria. Sola fide, only by faith, faith alone. Sola gratia, only grace, grace alone. Sola deo glory, therefore all glory to God alone. So that no one may boast. Now with all of that, with all of that, now he turns and gives us the purpose of our salvation. It wasn't earned by works, but it was for the purpose that we would in gratitude to God do good works for him. And we see that in verse 10. For we, for, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Many of you have heard a, a preacher say something like, well, the word workmanship is the Greek word poema which we get poem from, 
art, we could put it this way, we are God's work of art. We're not doing the work, we're, the, we're his work of art, we're his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus. You don't create yourselves, we're created by God. We were dead, he creates us as new people. We're created in Christ Jesus, and then here it is for the first time in the passage, the, the reason why we are saved, we are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. These aren't good works to earn favor with God, but they're simply a response of gratitude that God has loved us. And when you say good works, you're thinking loving people, aren't you? Serving people, helping people. Is there somebody you can love? Is there somebody you can help? Is there somebody you can serve in some way? A life of good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then get this, he says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you mean before you ever do them, before you're ever born, God has all of these good works for Andre to do. I mean, it's not a random thing. He creates Andre and wires Andre and resources Andre and gives opportunities to Andre so he can go about doing these good works. Every time Randy Mormon, who leads our cancer support ministry, uh, goes down into MD Anderson to see someone, that was ordained before he ever existed. He's going to go minister God's grace and love. Same for you. Every time you pray a prayer for somebody else, that's ordained by God. God's called you to it. He's, he's laid that out for you. Every time you give a, a, a dollar to the kingdom of God to help somebody, God's ordained that for you. Every time you provide a listening ear to someone who desperately needs to be heard, that's one of those good works. Maybe you're an HEB and, and there's a, a very troubled worker there and you don't know it, but, but your warm smile and greeting is one of those good works. Certainly, your spiritual gifts. Yesterday, I dropped by the, the church, well, kind of on my way from my office. I stepped in the foyer about 11 o'clock and the, the, the foyer was packed with people. Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. There are about 300 people in there, and this is what they were doing. Cindy Miracle, who runs our Love Fosters Hope Ministry, or runs her own Love Fosters Hope Ministry that we're involved with, she was having a big Christmas party for over 600 foster children, so orphan children, who might not get any gifts. And she had about 300 volunteers in the room when I stopped by, and they together were going to throw this great big Christmas party for these orphan kids. She's walking in the good works that God gave her. Last couple of weeks, we had a bunch of Christmas presents or ornaments on Christmas trees. And you would pick those up and, and go buy a gift for them. And they'd be given to a, a child that might not get Christmas gift elsewhere. Altogether, there were 600 gifts given for the Woods Edge Christmas store. Over 400 gifts given through Love Foster's Hope to these orphan children. There were another 17 children whose mothers had been rescued from redeemed ministries, the human trafficking ministry, who received gifts because of your generosity. Percy Kennedy and our church who's got a ministry with fatherless children, including in prison, fathers in prison. Now, 38 of those children whose dads are in prison will be taken to Toys R Us and given a gift card to pick out a gift in the name of their father because of you. Jane Gravis' or Orphanage Ministry in Kenya, 53 children will get gifts from you. Melody Chandler's 
orphanage for special needs children in China, about $18,000 will be sent by you to help in various ways with Christmas and things. Borough Street, uh, women with HIV, about 30 of those women will receive a Christmas present package. All of that because of your generous, generosity and kindness. Friends, that is part of the good works that you're walking in. And so really the challenge is this. Every day, Lord God, what do you have for me today? Lord, small ways or big ways. Prayers to pray, money to give. Uh, listening to a, a troubled person. Maybe uh, uh, an act of kindness or a word of kindness. Big and small. Lord, what do you have for me today? Because God has saved you, not so you can, uh, you know, kind of enjoy that yourself, but so you can go out and love people for Christ's sake. Can I close by telling you about my favorite character in any movie whatsoever? Thank you. I'm glad I can do that. <laughs> All righty. Uh, he is uh, somebody I don't know his name because he's not that major of character, but I think many of you will recognize him. He comes from the first Les Miserables movie. I'm talking about the Liam Neeson movie that came out in 1998, which I think is better than the 2012 one, as good as it is. Liam Neeson plays Jean Valjean, who was a criminal who had spent 19 years in hard labor. Finally, he gets out. And he has no money. He has a prison record. He can't earn, earn, earn money. And, you know, dirt poor, hungry he begins making his way back to his hometown in France. One night, he finds himself in a city. He's starving. He's sleeping on a park bench. And someone suggests to him, you ought to knock on that door if you need food. He goes and knocks on that door. Turns out it's the home of the Catholic bishop. And the gruff housekeeper answers the door and kind of, you know, waves him off. But the bishop sticks his head out and says, oh, come in. You bet you can eat here. And you, can, you need a place to stay tonight? You can stay with us. Now, this Catholic bishop, if some of you remember him, is the most Christ-like figure I've ever seen in the movies. A little bit gruff on the outside, but a big heart on the inside. He treats Jean Valjean, this criminal, with dignity and respect. They share a meal together. Now, Jean Valjean cannot help but notice there is a lot of expensive silverware around this house. And in the middle of the night, he cannot resist himself but to get up, find a bag, put the silverware in it, and, 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 and make off in the night. Before he does, he makes a little noise stirring. The Catholic bishop is disturbed, gets up to check on things. And so Jean Valjean has to strike this Catholic bishop who's been so kind to him. Gives him a blow right here. And he runs off in the night. Some hours later, the middle of the morning, uh, the Catholic bishop is out in his garden doing some work. And the French police come bringing Jean Valjean. And they're so proud of themselves because they've captured the man that stole his silver. And, and they bring him to the Catholic bishop and say to him, this criminal told us that you gave him that silver. And the Catholic bishop doesn't hesitate. Unthinkingly, he says, you bet I did. And... Why didn't you take the candlesticks that I gave you? They're valuable. Why didn't you take them? And he tells his gruff housekeeper who hates this, uh, go get the candlesticks. And then he shoes off the French police before they ask too many questions to go get some tea inside. And he turns to Jean Valjean, who is stunned by the gift of this Catholic bishop. 
And the Catholic bishop looks him in the eyes and says, I have bought you. You are a new man. You go out and live a new life because of the grace that you have received. And he does. The rest of his life is completely transformed. And he is helping people left and right, even forgiving the policeman that has it out for him. Now, friends, is that not a perfect picture of the gospel? That you have received this stunning act of grace, that all your sins have been forgiven, and you have life from the dead. And God did that for you for one purpose only, so that for the rest of your life, you will go out and love people and serve people and help people in any way that God calls you. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved by grace for a lifetime of good works to walk in them. And if you're not all about that, then go get after it because that is your calling. Lord, what do you have me to do today to love somebody? You're a new man, a new woman. Friends, this is such a powerful passage that I thought we would end by standing together and declaring the truths of this phrase by faith. So stand with me. It's going to come up on the screens, and we're just going to declare it together. And I'm going to read it fairly slowly. Go ahead and put it up. And let's just declare the truth of the gospel together. Okay? Stay with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, church. Friend, if you're in the room and you've never been clear on the gospel... It's not about you earning it. You'll never have to say what Michelangelo said, that I haven't done it enough for the salvation of my soul. You'll never have to say that because it's the gift of God. If you've never been clear on that, you are now. And just open your heart, breathe a prayer, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. But most of us have done that. And the reminder from God's word today for us, the message of God's word is that every day we would wake up looking to love people for Christ's sake. And so, Lord, please make it clear what good works, what acts of love that you have prepared for us each day, including today. Lord, we bless you. With all our hearts, we bless you. Amen.